one out of a hundred. Those are the statistics I was told. One out of a hundred listeners give. A generous donor gave Time of Grace $155,000 for a challenge grant. That means when you give a gift of any amount to Time of Grace during the month of August, it will be doubled. Now, I've been meeting a lot of you guys in person lately, and I think Little Things listeners are not the typical one out of a hundred. I think we're one out of five. In truth, I think we are one of a kind. And just so you know, I'm not asking you to do something that I don't also do. I love to give to Time of Grace especially when there's a matching challenge. So please consider making a contribution in August to Time of Grace. And if you do, make sure you tell them you listen to little things because I want to come back and let you guys know just how generous you were. Just go to timeofgrace.org. And remember, the money is going to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. Today's episode is called Look for the Window. So 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. I don't think we give this passage the attention that it deserves because it is so full of important information. First of all, we're told no temptation has come to us. That is unique to us. Like all of mankind is plunged in this sinful world and we are all dealing with temptations. And whatever temptations you're dealing with, guess what? People all around the world are dealing with them too. And it's not as if temptation is a one and done, right? We wake up in the morning and we are tempted by something. You know, my first temptation almost always every single day is to not put God first, So I can go upstairs and I can go make my pot of coffee. And the idea being that I'm going to make my pot of coffee, I'm going to get my cup, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do my Bible study. But guess what? Then I see the dishes that were left from last night. Or I see the to-do list and the eight things that I didn't cross off the day before. Or I pick up my phone and there's an email and there's notifications and there's all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, my, my plan, which was to put God first, is totally being sidetracked because I have all these temptations to do everything else. And it, it's not as if if I go, no, I'm not going to do that. Nope, I got it. I, I'm, I'm going to avoid the notifications. I'm going to avoid the phone. I'm going to walk right past the to-do list. I'm going to leave the dishes. I'm going to get back to my Bible. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to study the word. It's not as if, if I do that, that the rest of the day will be temptation free. Nope. <laughs> That's just getting through the first temptation of the day. And then it's on to the next temptation of the day. And the, the temptations never go away. But guess what? We're not alone. The temptations that we are facing, there's nothing new. If you read the Bible, you will find that the same temptations we are dealing with are the temptations that our ancestors in the past dealt with. 
Look at Miriam. Miriam struggled with the temptation to usurp her brother. She was like, man, I could do this better than Moses. I think I honestly could lead better than he could. And instead of coming alongside him and saying, Moses, I would love to help you, man. Like there's some things that you're, you know, not quite as efficient at. Can I, can I come alongside you? Can I help you? And if you don't want the help, let me at least pray for you. Let me encourage you. Um, Clearly God has appointed you to lead us. So, you know, I just want to be your right hand man. Instead of doing that, (laughs) she's like, "Uh, Aaron, I think we need to get him out of the way. And, you know, it turned into tragedy. Look up uh, Numbers chapter 12. I think it's chapter 12. Maybe it's 11, 12, 13, right in there. If you haven't read that um, account in the Bible, look at Sarah, Abraham's wife. You know, they had this promise from God that they were waiting for this, this son, this long awaited son. And she's going, you know, this isn't happening and I'm not going to live forever. We've got to do something, Abraham. We can't just sit around and wait for God to do something because maybe what God is actually waiting for is us to come up with our own plan. So here's my plan. Just sleep with my servant and let's get pregnant that way and get on with this business of raising a family. How many times haven't you been tempted to do the same? Like, you know where you want to be, right? And it just is so hard to wait on the Lord. You're praying, you're not seeing an answer to your prayers, and you're thinking, well, maybe God is just waiting for me to do something. I remember being single and, you know, trying to find this godly man to marry and thinking, you know, okay, well, I don't go to the bars. You know, I'm not dressing in a seductive way. I'm not like putting myself out there all over town. Like maybe the problem is me. And you know, we can be so tempted to take matters into our own hands, like change something, do something to instead of waiting on the Lord. And I'm so glad that I waited on the Lord and the Lord put the right man in my life at right the the exact perfect time. Look at Leah. She was thinking, you know what, if I just have another baby, if I just have another baby, clearly Jacob is going to love me because that's really what he loves. He loves these children. So if I just have another baby, then I I'm really going to be attractive to him. He's going to love me. He's going to honor me. And, you know, we can do that too. Again, it, we can be saying things like, if I just get the right haircut, if I just get the right clothes, if I get my nails done, if I have the right car, if I have the right house, if I do my yard just so, then all the neighbors are going to find me attractive. Then everybody's going to like me. That is a worldly perspective. Or how about Naomi? Well, God didn't stick to my plan. He took everything away. So clearly he doesn't like me. Clearly I have lost favor with him. Who is he? When has he ever done anything for me? If we look at God as our genie in the bottle, then we are going to be disappointed. God doesn't answer to us. We serve him. And as these things go along, we're all subjected to misfortune and tragedy because we live in the sin-filled world. And when we face it, we have two options. We can either turn our back on God and say, you know what, God, 
a loving God would never have done this to me. Or we can lean into that pain and say, God, living in this sinful world is so painful. I hurt so bad. And I'm going to you because I have nowhere else to go. And I'm depending on you for my strength. I'm depending on you for everything that I need to get me through this day because you have promised you would never leave me or forsake me. You have promised that you will work all things for good. So I don't see anything good here. I see tragedy. I see misfortune. I see pain. I feel anguish, but I'm turning to you. Strengthen me, help me, and don't let me, don't let me be the stumbling block that keep other people from following you. So anyway, the point being that as you face temptation, whatever the temptation is that you face, it's there. It's in the Bible. And right now you may be going, oh, Amber, come on. My temptation, my biggest temptation is not to waste time on my phone or sit and watch, you know, my latest streaming episode or whatever uh, at the end of the day. Um, the people in the Bible didn't do that. Oh, come on. There were distractions. There's always been distractions. God didn't tell us specifically what the people's distractions were back, you know, in Bible times, but there were there were distractions. I mean, I could make things up, but they would probably be silly. So, you know, maybe the women sewed elaborate coverings for their walls, or they walked several villages away to watch how the women there were dyeing their fabric, or maybe there were sheep racing. I don't know. The point is, I'm sure that there were distractions because every generation has its own distractions. So back to 1 Corinthians. What is temptation? So the definition is actually to allure someone to evil or seduce them, to entice somebody to sin. And to sin is, of course, to go against God's commands. So God's commands are there to bless us. We know that God's commands are like a fence. I like to use that as an example. So not only does a fence keep evil out, but it also keeps us in, right? So it keeps us from going where we shouldn't go. And it keeps others from doing what they shouldn't do to us or evil influences for from coming into our lives. So if we obey God's commands and take them seriously, God is saying this is the this is the um, path of obedience is, is a blessing and it's for your protection. It's, it's to make you happy, really, because you are going to avoid the common pitfalls that end up bringing us pain. So where do temptations come from? Well, three places, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. Satan gets the credit for a lot of our temptations. And, you know, we shouldn't give Satan so much credit. He's not the lone person in the army of evil. There are many, many demons. Um, and we know that in Bible times, we know that Jesus cast demons out of Mary Magdalene, uh, that there was a boy whose father brought him to the disciples to be healed and have the demons cast out. And, and Jesus did. We know that the Canaanite woman's daughter had demons in her. We know that there was a man among the tombs who had demons in him. But that's not the only way that the devil and the army of evil works. Look at the Garden of Eden how Satan tempted Eve to sin. 
So he put the idea in her in her head. She wasn't thinking about rebelling against God at all. She was living in this beautiful garden with her husband in perfection. And Satan put the idea in her head, like, you know, maybe you should do this. Have you thought about this? I don't think God even really, you know, is being honest with you. So you really should do this. So we know that sometimes Satan puts ideas or thoughts in our mind that we would never have. So you may notice it. Sometimes I do. I might just be working my day and or driving along and all of a sudden the thought comes in my mind. And I'm like, where in the world did that come from? Well, it may have been from a demon. There was another time in the Bible. Um, Jesus was talking to his disciples about what was going to happen. He was saying, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to be uh, tortured. I'm going to be killed. And the third day I'm going to raise from the dead. And we're told in Matthew 16 that Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, that's, you know, nice of you to think about me. Or Peter, uh, listen, I mean, you have good thoughts, a good, good way to think about me and want to keep me on earth. And thanks for, you know, being my good friend. Jesus said, Peter, Satan is behind those words. He didn't even say Peter. He just said, Satan, <laughs> get behind me. So some of the ideas that come out of other people's mouths, and if we're not careful, some of the ideas that come out of our mouths may just be from the spiritual forces of evil. So Satan, the devil, is one place where we get temptation. Number two, the world. Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen to 14, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The people of the world, our culture, our mainstream media, see things very differently than the people of God. Jesus, you know, talked about leadership. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then what you really have to do is serve. Then your job is to put yourself beneath everybody else. That's, that's how you look at it in God's kingdom, not, not how the world sees it. The world sees it as, you know, get what you can get for yourself. Be happy here. This is all there is. Um, take what you can. You deserve to be happy. Look out for number one. If people aren't helping you, then leave them behind. Cut them off. Do what you need to do to get ahead. Have the drink. Eat the cake. Step outside your marriage if this season isn't fulfilling you. Because let's face it, you deserve to be happy. That, that is the way of the world, right? But the Christian walking with God knows that the drink doesn't fix the stress. So you've had a terrible day at work. And everybody's like, man, let's just go have a drink. Let's forget about this. Like at the end of that drink, 
Has any anything been fixed? Do you do you feel significantly better sometimes? I mean, sometimes yeah, it does you know, take away the stress because you're starting to forget about it. Your inhibitions are going away and you're like, yeah, I, I don't even care anymore. Or you get done with work and you're like, I deserve that huge bowl of ice cream or that piece of cake because I have just worked so hard. Yeah, but does that solve anything? Yeah, you had a super busy day at work. Do you feel better when you have that huge piece of cake or actually does it make you feel a little worse? or not motivated to do anything else with the rest of your day. That's what I found. Sugar does that to me. And I finally realized that about half an hour after eating sugar, I am useless. And so, yeah, I can, I can fall into that temptation when I see that, you know, piece of cake or that dessert or whatever it is. Yeah, I can eat that, but I know half an hour later, I'm going to be useless. So, I mean, it's not to say that I won't ever eat it. I I just know now what's coming if I do. What about stepping outside your marriage? You know, that is the easy way out, right? It's hard to work through the tough times. It's hard to have those conversations. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to keep going. But man, I've been married for 25 years now, and I can tell you it is so worth it to get through those tough seasons. It's worth it to get through it for your family to keep your family together and the protection and the safety that it provides your children to come home to two loving parents. It's worth it to endure and to be patient with each other for the sweet communion and fellowship that you have when you get through that season. Ideologies, philosophies of the worlds, they're a constant threat. But when we know the word, we're going to see that they are in opposition to God and we can withstand them. Okay, last, we are the problem. King David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Look, I'd love to blame Satan for all my bad thoughts and all my terrible ideas, but I do a pretty good job of coming up with ways to put me first, forget the other person, justify my behavior. I'm always right to let my pride get in the way. So, you know, at the end of the day, I have to recognize that I am part of the problem. So now we know where these temptations come from. What do we do about it? What do we do when these temptations come in order to not fall into sin? So I want you to imagine that you're in a building that has caught fire, okay? You see the flames, like you you honestly can see flames. You can see smoke, you can smell the smoke, okay? What should you do? So you could see how close you can get to the flames without getting burned, right? You could say, well, I'm, I'm sitting over here. The flames are over there, so I think I'm okay. Unless the flames get closer to me, I don't think I need to leave this building. Okay, we do that, right? Can you watch the R-rated movies? I mean, it's not porn, right? Yeah, there are sex scenes. There are definitely scenes with nudity. There is a lot of bad language. There is a lot of shifty behavior. 
But you know, it doesn't really affect me. I think I'm okay. I think I can still, you know, keep my thoughts pure. And I think I can maintain, you know, living with integrity and continue to watch these things. Because let's face it, they're entertaining. Okay, you can stay in the in the building and and assume that you're not inhaling smoke or that it won't affect your lungs. You could do that. You could go to the pantry, get some marshmallows, get some chocolate, get some graham crackers and walk right up to the flames and and make some s'mores. Isn't that what we do when we start to hear gossip? I mean, just think about the last gathering you were at or the last time you were at work and you were in the lunchroom or everybody was gathering around a desk or whatever, and you start to hear the gossip, right? You start to hear someone say, oh boy, you are not going to believe what I just heard. Or did you hear about so-and-so? Do you run up? Do you pull up a chair? Do you act like my dog? I had a dog for 16 years. And, you know, when she would hear a sound like on the road, she would be sitting on her steps and she would hear a sound a ways away and her ears would just go up and they would just turn like a radar, like right towards that sound. Like she could just focus right in on that sound. Is that that you? Do you grab your marshmallows and your chocolate and your graham crackers and you head straight towards the flames, knowing there's going to be gossip there, knowing there's going to be things that you probably shouldn't be talking about. You shouldn't be talking behind someone's back. It's not your story. It's not news that other people should be spreading. But let's face it. A lot of times we run right towards the flames and get our s'mores pack out, sit down, start toasting our marshmallows. I heard a wonderful way to avoid this. I was at a gathering with some friends and somebody very innocently brought up a situation that they were like, hey, I was just wondering, has anybody heard from so-and-so and what's going on there? And there there had been something going on there. And... um they knew that there was something going on there. And two women who knew exactly what was going on there very beautifully said, that's not my story to tell. I'm sure if you want to talk to so-and-so, you could call that person directly and you could express your concern. And, and, um, you know, if, if they really want to tell you, they couldn't, they could let you in on that. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to handle it. When you're at the event, when you're at the office and and this starts happening, just keep walking. Excuse yourself. Just go away. If you don't want to be part of the gossip, don't get the marshmallow kit out, right? Just keep walking. Get away from the flames. (laughs) You could also, you know, the building's on fire. You could linger because, you know, maybe, just maybe, the fire will go out on its own. Like if you just sit there and do nothing, you could just say, you know, I think, I think the fire will maybe go out on its own. So you have a neighbor, let's just say you have a neighbor or coworker who's male 
And you know, you guys work so well together. And every time you work together, you end up having these deep conversations. And it's really nice to have someone listen to you and and think that you're amazing. And you could just, you know, chalk it up to having a great coworker, great neighbor, and not worry about it. Because after all, I mean, it's just a friend. I'm sure the fire will go out. I'm sure there won't be an emotional attachment. I'm sure you won't be looking up his schedule to see when he works with you again. I'm sure you won't go out of your way to make sure that you're in the hallway that he's in or that you end up in the same room together or whatever. I'm sure the fire will just go out. See, that's not at all how the Bible tells us to deal with temptation. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, turn from evil and do good. Turn. That's a deliberate action. (laughs) As in, don't go towards it. Don't stay there. Don't watch to see how far it goes, but to turn. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. So that's two actions. One, flee, run away. And two, pursue the opposite. So get out of that burning building and go to a safe place. (laughs) Don't stay there. Don't hang around. Don't keep doing the same things you've been doing and assume that you're not going to get burnt or that there aren't, isn't going to be any lung damage. You, you can't do that. So where do, we, where do we go? Well, Jesus showed us really clearly how to deal with temptation. When Satan came to him, Jesus defeated him three times by using the word of God. Jesus knew the word of God, and he was able to use the word of God. And that's the importance of being in the word every day. It's not because it makes you, you know, this um, person of favor, like, oh, you've checked off your, your Bible reading for the day. And so God sees that. And so you've done the first task of the day, right? And now you are in God's favor. No, like being in the word shows you how people of the past were carried, how God intervened in their lives. It shows you God's plan of salvation. It shows you how much God loves you. It shows you how far God was willing to go to bring us to him. Right? The people of Israel, they strayed over and over and over. And what did God do? He continued to show up for them. Like they forsook him, but he never forsook them back. The Bible also gives us these weapons that we can use to get through these things. And that's what Jesus did is every time Satan came at him, he was like, but God says this, but it is written this. And so going to the word, it's like filling up. It's like putting the armor of God on so that we can stand against everything that Satan is and the world and that our own foolishness throws at us all day long. So we have to run to God. We have to run to God's word. We have to be in God's word so that it's right there. So that it's right there for us to use. 
but also we have to look for the window. God says he will provide a way out. That is a promise. In every single situation, he will provide a way out. You do not have to keep watching that show. You know what you can do? You can turn it up. You do not have to go back to that bottle. You can walk away. You do not have to keep working with that coworker. (laughs) In fact, you can make sure that you're not checking the schedule. You can make sure that you are not going out of your way to have that conversation with him. You can quit texting him. You, you can not take lunch at the same time. You know, I have thought about David a lot as I've been thinking about this, you know, whole idea of look for the window and that God will provide a way out. And when, when we read the account of David and Bathsheba, man, it was there. David was on his roof. He was looking at this naked woman and he asked a servant who she was. And the servant came back and said, that is Uriah's wife. That's an out man. As in, it's not your wife. It's Uriah's wife. David knew who Uriah was. He was one of his mighty men. He was a friend. He was someone who had stood alongside him and fought. That's your out, David. What should David have done in that situation? David's on a roof, sees a beautiful naked woman. First of all, you should have turned around. Dude, that, that's not yours to look at. That is Uriah's to look at. That, that's not yours. So turn around. David had wives. He could have gone and been with any one of them. He could have walked into his house and said, I'm going to spend tonight with one of his wives. He could have, you know, talked with her, had sex with her, invested in his family, could have spent the night with his children. And it could have been a totally different ending. But he didn't take the out. He just kept trudging forward. And so often we do the same. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was struggling. He knew what was coming and he knew how hard it was going to be. And he prayed. He, he did what we ought to do. We, we ought to turn always to God in prayer too and just say, you know, hey, this is a struggle. That's what he did. He turned to his father and he's like, I just am wondering if there's another way. Is there another way? Like, I know what I'm going to do right now. I, I know where the, the next hours will take me, but is, is there another way? And we are told that here he was in anguish, that he was deeply troubled, And when he went to God in prayer, God did not say, yes, there is another way as a matter of fact. But what he did do is send angels to strengthen Jesus. When we are being tempted and we want to go down that same road that we've gone down a million times, if you are used to waking up and spending your first hour of the day on that phone, you have a habit, right? And if you decide, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to read my Bible. When you wake up that first day, don't think for a minute that you aren't going to be super tempted to look at that phone. You will be. 
But you can say, you know what? Okay, God help me. I know that I can keep that phone right over there and I can open up my Bible. And you might read one passage and you might be tempted even then. You're like, oh man, this does not apply to me at all. This doesn't seem to be doing anything for me. Look over at your phone. Don't do it. Just keep giving God the time. Look for that window. And and let me tell you, this is the thing. As you do this more and more, you start to see how silly these temptations are. Because God is worthy of our time and our attention. And one of the biggest reasons I think that I want to avoid temptations at this point in my life is because I want to prove to Satan how good God is. Like when Satan throws these temptations at me, and when the world is like, but this is what everybody else is doing, I, I want to stand as that person who's saying, I know, but I'm good. I'm going to do things God's way because have you noticed how good God is? He's amazing. And he's never let me down. So I, I don't think I should fall for this now because he's really quite good. Pastor Mike taught me something too. We were doing the interview for his uh, book, What's Big Start Small. And I said to him, why do we keep falling for the deceitfulness of wealth? And he said something that's really stuck with me. He said, you know, I think it's because we are so tempted to just look at the short short term. Like in the short term, this is what feels good. It feels good to go spend the money. It feels good to, you know, indulge in the sin. Short term. But if we look at the big picture, man, that was stupid. That was not smart to do that. That when it's all said and done and and you have spent the money and then the bill comes, you're like, oh man, kind of wish I hadn't done that. Or you go out and you do drink and then you make a fool of yourself. And the next day you're like, why did I do that? Or you don't feel well, or, you know, you, I don't know how many times, you know, in the middle of, in the dead of winter, I'm thinking about nothing, but staying cozy. So I'm cuddled up on the couch with my, you know, gallon of hot chocolate that's calorie laden and just vegging out on the, on the couch, not doing anything. And then all of a sudden it's summer and none of my shorts fit and I don't want to be in a swimming suit. And I'm like, why couldn't I remember back in January that May is only a few months away? So if we quit looking short term and are staying in the plan for the long haul, and that's something that God can do when we walk with God, God will help us to do that. I love this quote. It's an anonymous quote that I found. And I I just love this. I think this is so pertinent. It says, when you flee from temptation, be sure you don't leave a forwarding address behind. So often we like to keep that door open. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go drinking with you guys tonight, but um, make sure you ask me next time. Why don't you just say, no, I'm not going to go drinking tonight because you know what happens when you go drinking, right? Or, you know, you're like, "Ah, I'm not going to listen to that gossip today. But afterwards, you've, you've made it past that temptation. And then you're like, make sure 
to say to them something like, well, so anyway, I, I didn't, I didn't hear what you were saying. So anyway, what happened with that? Leaving that door open. Don't do that. Let's just give God what he deserves, our honor, our obedience. And I know it's a daily thing. It's an hourly thing. It's, it's staying in the game, but man, God is so worthy. He's so worthy and it's for our good. So look for the window. Don't stay in the burning building. Look for the window. Depend on God. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Hey guys, I just want to take a minute to thank every single one of you who has taken the time to pray for the important work we're doing, or made a donation, or took the time to encourage any one of us at Time of Grace. I want you to know we appreciate you, and we're thrilled to partner with you to bring the hope of the gospel to the world. 